Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And if you're a fan of this podcast, you already know the 50-year mission is definitive oral history of Star Trek. And Secrets of the Force will tell you everything you want to know about the history of Star Wars. But what you probably don't know is Ed Gross and I have a new book coming out this July. They shouldn't have killed this dog. The complete uncensored ass-kicking oral history of John Wick, Gun Fu, and the new age of action. Coming from St. Martin's in hardcover, digital, and audio. You can order it today. Welcome back to the 430 Movie. We got our expert programmers here to curate fantasy theme weeks of classic films. And from 1998, film directed by Steven Soderbergh called Out of Sight. Yes! Soderbergh directs it with such a sort of confident, self-assured style. Lex Luthor in Superman. What is it about Gene Hackman that... Uh... His performance, it's off the charts, but still in reality. Fiendishly gifted. 1981, Sam Raimi Opus, The Evil Dead. Oh, yes. Fine choice. Sam Raimi invented entirely new ways to get shots that should not have been possible with the amount of money that he did not have. Charade. Oh, so Directed by Stanley Donnan. It's a textbook screenplay. It's just effortless, and there's not a wrong note in this movie. Can't say enough great things about it. We'll be back next Friday with an all-new episode of the 430 Movie, wherever you listen to podcasts. Join us now for the 430 movie the 430 movie podcast is available weekly wherever you listen to podcasts and on the free electric now app download it today hello and welcome to best movies never made the podcast where we talk about interesting and infamous movies that never made it to or through production most of the time the movies you're trying to make don't get made like four of them may happen, one of them may happen, none of them may yeah. happen, and I'll be attached to three more things by end of summer. Turn the script into something resembling like Unforgiven with Conan. Yeah. Sadly, the rights expired and the whole thing just like went away Ow. overnight. New episodes will be available every other Monday. We won't see you at the movies. Best Movies Never Made, as featured in Entertainment Weekly, is available wherever you listen to podcasts and on the free Electric Now app. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And this is Darren Dockerman. And we are the Inglorious Trexperts. And we got some great guests here today. We got Trexpert Ashley Miller returning from the Dragon's Blood uh, set where he has uh, just finished the second season of the hit Netflix show. Um, there is no set, but uh, it sounds if there good. Were, it would be amazing. Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. And we're, we're, we're glad to have Ashley back. And of course, a returning champion, always a delight to have him on the show. It's a Voyager and Enterprise writer, producer, as well as the co-creator of, um, oh my God, I just, I just lo- lost the my train of thought. Perception. Yes. The co-creator of Perception for TNT, the great Michael Sussman is back. <laughs> and um, speaking of Michael, I, I, I was remiss when I mentioned all the great people that we saw at the Star Trek The Motion Picture Director's Edition screening. Of course, Mike Michael was there. And uh, what do you think of that, uh, Let's uh, you know, of the uh, Director's Edition? Uh, I've never seen it look or sound better. Although I have to say, I was sitting for half the movie. I was sitting next to somebody who was uh, eating popcorn. If you remember, they gave out popcorn. I do remember. 
And I was sitting some, next to somebody who was eating it very like slowly and deliberately, but like noisily. And, you know, I'm wow. trying to enjoy all the new sound effects and everything. And, you know, the crinkle of the bag. And then after a half hour, this person finally puts the popcorn bag down. And I'm like, oh, thank goodness. And they pick up another one that they had under the sheet and started wow. resuming. And you're like, absolutely, <laughs> I will not interfere. That's when I ran into you outside. The that's when you ran into me. I left and then found a new seat after that. Oh, yeah, that's but, right. Uh, I remember that. And I ended up sitting like, I think, fourth row from the front, which at first I was like, oh, this can't be a great seat. But that's a fantastic theater. And like yeah. every seat's a pretty good seat. Mm-hmm. And I, I came right back in as they were as it was the enterprise was going through the, the V'ger cloud. And I swear to God, I was it was like watching it in 3D. It was amazing. It, it really, I really felt like I had never seen the film before. Well, the the popcorn adventure was just beginning. Exactly. <laughs> and great candy too, yeah, which is they, interesting because spend, at AMC, no expense at AMC. They don't. They, I can't find a bunch of crunch anymore. I guess because mm. of the supply supply chain issues. They, they don't have a bunch of crunch. But Paramount, they had a bunch of crunch. They've been hoarding well, it. I was, I was, uh, I was very sad though that the Enterprise herself uh, did not make an appearance at this screening, uh, yeah, like she did at the previous one in two thousand one. Well, she's uh, she's under new management now. Yes, somebody should have called <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure he would have just sent her right down. <laughs> but uh, but that was great. Yeah, that was right. Twenty years ago, when we were at that uh, Robert Wise Director's Guild screening, they had the Enterprise uh, right on the. Um, it was like a Peter Greenaway film. You had all the food and the Shatner yeah, uh, Nimoy and, and the Enterprise and, and the Enterprise on the on the, the buffet. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, that was that was pretty. Uh, that was pretty some, some awesome stuff. But that was a great night. It was a great night for all of us and great night for Darren Doctorman and the team behind Star Trek: The uh, Motion Picture Director's Edition. So congratulations. Um, I have to say, I'm very excited. I, I, I don't know if you guys know, but next month. Um, is uh, it, one of my absolute, you know, I'm so excited. It's a prequel to um, all these characters that I absolutely love. Uh, there's a lot of excitement about it. People are talking about it. And um, I cannot wait for Obi-Wan Kenobi. Oh. <laughs> it's, it's, it, it, have you seen the footage? It looks great. Darth Vader's back. That clown Anakin, that Anakin guy. Um, but it looks it looks like it's gonna be really good and dark and the inquisitors from star Wars rebels. I can't wait. It looks like they're really going to nail, um, nail the prequel thing. It, it does. Although, you know, I saw a, uh, uh, like a, somebody had posted a screenshot of somebody's freaking tweet. I don't know, but it was an excellent point. It was about how like the, the star Wars universe to a certain extent has sort of so wrapped around itself mm-hmm. that in star Wars, Right. Han Solo shows up on the Death Star and both of Darth Vader's children are there. His former teacher is there. The Wookiee uh, who spared the life of his Padawan is there. His former astromech is there and the droid he built as a child is there. And that it ends with like this, the character who in the prequels was like the greatest pilot. I guess he was the Dennis Quaid of like the, uh, of, of uh, Maverick of the of the yeah exactly um, that he just sort of shows up and basically the space equivalent of an eighteen wheeler and shoots him in the ass and <laughs> just I was well, Darth Vader just not wondering who this on Solo there's certain eddies and currents in the Force that bring everybody together that's right 
So I, I look. Betty I, Curran I'm, was one of the great I, Jedi. I'm looking. I'm looking forward to it. I just, hope it, I just hope it isn't the book of Bobby Wong. <laughs> the, the book no, of I don't Wong. think so. I, I think, you know, they've been talking about this for a long time. And it seems like some really interesting people are involved. And look, I, I'm always hopeful. It looks great. I'm always hopeful. You so always I, have a new hopeful. I, I have a new hopeful. And, uh, you know, look, I, it's no secret. I'm not, not a fan of prequels or the prequels. And I, but, you know. Star Wars is is very good at, at at sort of following canon, and um, I uh, I can't wait. Uh, I hope it's great. Look I mean, it might not be. It evolves, much like Veacher. That's right. And at the end of the first season, Obi Wan Kenobi becomes an android. It's so weird. It's uh oh wait no I'm, I'm mixing things up. I'm sorry guys, I got confused. Well, anyway, I'm sure there won't be any scenes set in the parking lot. <laughs> okay, so. Uh, Anyway, um, look, we, a couple of weeks ago, we were doing, we were trying to find an excuse to um, not call a mailbag episode a mailbag episode or the mail sack episode is uh, uh, Darren was lobbying for. Um, so we, we came up with this idea. I, we just started talking about Star Trek's greatest seasons. Um, and um, it got a lot of a lot of play on the uh, on the interwebs. A lot of people wanted to weigh in with their thoughts. And we thought, you know what, we must return to this place again. With a, a little more, a little more prepared, better guests, um, and uh, so here we are again uh, to really resolve this question once and for all of what is Star Trek's greatest season, and uh, we got some great people representing all the great seasons of Star Trek, um, representing uh, Star Trek the original series. I, you know, I feel like I don't even want to say the original series. I just want to call it Star Trek. Just call it Star Trek. Just like it's kind I of call, like calling Star Wars Star Wars. I don't of, call know, it a new, new hope. hope. I never have. I, I hate I, people I, who do. I, I call it Star, Star Wars. Trek a new hope. So That's Star right. Trek season two. That's what I right. call it. Star Trek season two. Darren's going to advocate for that. Uh, uh, here to represent um, Deep Space Nine season five, Ashley Edward Miller. Although I have, uh, I'm calling an audible here because my review of the uh, of the problem space, um, it's so tough for me. But I think I am I'm actually going to make the case instead for uh, for season six. And I think when you hear my reasons, you'll go, oh, okay, that's wait, 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 wait. So you so wait, we're 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 putting five on the bench. We're bringing we're out six? five on the bench, and we're bringing out out six because there is okay. there are a couple of uh, of, of very um, just undeniable things in that. Okay, season. so we're going to make the swap. We're going to make the yeah. swap. Okay. Season six, it is. I'm not exactly prepared for that, but I don't need to be because you're the one who's advocating for it. Um, big a lot. What we what we saw when we had this on Twitter, um, where people were talking about that we had the poll, um, and we had a lot of people um, uh, talking on uh, on the on, our, on Twitter about this. A lot of people were saying, "Where is Enterprise season four? So it was only fair that we bring on, on Mike Plus. Sussman. Now I just want to say before. We say anything about Michael in season four. Mike was very resistant to take this on because, of course, unlike other people on this podcast, he's not an egomaniacal narcissist. <laughs> and so he didn't really want to, you know, it was a show he worked on. He's very proud of. He didn't want to say, OK, this is the greatest season of Star Trek ever. I think partially because he worked on it, partially because he doesn't believe it. But he's going to do it anyway. And we're so grateful to him for coming uh, to uh, talk about uh, why uh, season four of Enterprise should be in the running here. Well, I will say this. I think I think it is the greatest season that I worked on. I will say that. I worked on five seasons of Star Trek, the last season of Voyager and, and all four of Enterprise. So 
Um, yeah, no hesitation to to say that. Yeah, yeah, but that's an easy that's an easy one to win. That's <laughs> it. Nobody's, nobody's going to argue that one. So uh, no, that that's great, and uh, so many great episodes. We'll talk about that in a second. And then, last but not least, I'm kind of put in the position of a, in measure of a man. Remember when Riker had a, had it like say that uh, that that data should was was not human that he that he, uh, that he, no, he was man. put in the unenviable task of having to attack his friend right. and basically go against because there were no other ships in the quadrant or no other lawyers right. in the courtroom there are or, no space or, lawyers there are no space lawyers around there's no jag there's no i don't know the, you know paramount wasn't doing some kind of legal show there was no boston legal there was nothing so basically Riker had to go against Picard. So I am going to take the winner of our Twitter poll, Star Trek. Well, not Star Trek, the next generation season three. Um, that was the winner of our, our Twitter poll. Next generation seems to, to, to get, get the edge in, in these polls. Um, and uh, of course I'm a fan of it. I'm not dismissing it. I, I was a big advocate for it. people who, Back in the day, uh, uh, would read my articles in Cinefantastic. I, you know, I championed the season and how Michael Pillar, you know, turned, turned, turned the ship around, turned the aircraft carrier around, uh, the, the the oil tanker. Uh, so 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 amazingly in season three. Of course, it's not the greatest season of Star Trek ever, but I'll I'll make the case. Much like Mike, I will I will make the case even if because uh, that's what you have to do as an advocate sometimes. The person you're representing is guilty as hell, but you got to make the argument anyway. You're really selling it, Mark. So I'm going to make that argument. And I could, you know, I could make it to great episodes that season. Absolutely. So great episodes. Anyway, good luck. Good luck to you. So, 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 um, so here we are. And I I have to say, um, uh, um, I was trying to bring somebody here to represent a season of Voyager, the other Star Trek show that's not represented today, but, um, I couldn't find anybody who really, you know, could really articulate in a passionate way and, and, and is, you know, a true Trexpert, a true gamester. See, so, um, so, you know, I also was like, really, do we need to talk about Voyager being the greatest season of Star Trek? I know that people believe that, but they're wrong. So uh, (laughs) I'm, I'm sure they're out there and I'm sure there are people who, who could uh, convince us. Uh, but we just could, didn't have time to find them. We didn't have time to find them because we're, we don't exactly put a ton of we're, we're finding shows. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so I'm going to start with, uh, let's start with Darren and tell us, um, uh, make your treatise, make your your well, your opening statement, if you will, um, about why uh, the season, second season of uh, Star Trek is the greatest season of Star Trek ever. The second season of Star Trek is the greatest season ever because uh, it is the season that builds the house. What I mean by that is that season one built the foundation, set the rules. They uh, worked through it for uh, uh, a bunch of uh, like 24 episodes, 26 episodes. And uh, they really uh, set the stage for what became an absolutely intriguing um uh, uh, dynamic, uh, different, uh, take on the show. Uh, some of the episodes go off in, uh, uh, little odd directions that you wouldn't expect. Uh, some, uh, 
new ideas brought forth, some new uh, adversaries to meet, some new problems to solve. And the, the main reason why I think it's the best is that it starts out with a huge triple play home run. That doesn't make sense, but uh, what I mean is a, a bases loaded home run. Bases loaded home run. <laughs> Thank you. A bases loaded home run with a muck time. Captain's log, star date 3372.7. First officer Spock seems to be under stress. If I want anything from you, I'll ask for it. If you don't get him to Vulcan within a week, eight days, it's the outside, he'll die. I await you. Who is she? My wife. She chooses the challenge. She will choose thy champion. This one. This combat is to the death. Uh, Amok Time is the beginning of uh, the second season, and it is so jam-packed with uh, depth, character, and uh, world-building that it really uh, it really stands the test of time. Uh, it's all of Vulcan in one episode, basically, and it's it's so well done. The the uh, the strange uh, beginning of it with uh, Spock apparently acting crazy and hyper emotional and basically throwing, uh, like soup. throwing soup everywhere. I mean, we, we, haven't, we haven't seen him like this ever. And it's frightening. We don't know what's going on. Uh, uh, McCoy can't figure it out and Spock won't tell him what it is. Yeah, he normally uh, likes his soup. <clears throat> Omique is bad. Let's just face it. It's bad soup. Um, but the great thing about it is that it opens up the world of the Vulcans like never before. This is uh, written by Ted Sturgeon, a uh, world-renowned sci-fi writer, and he takes the uh, the Vulcan soul and puts it in uh, a couple of interesting characters that we meet on Spock's home planet in uh, the temple of uh, his uh, ancestors in their place of Kunut Kalifi, the uh, uh, challenge. And it is uh, amazing how much ground is covered in this. Uh, now, remember, this is uh, before we actually uh, uh, knew much of anything about Spock's history. Well, first of all, we learn about their strange seven-year drive to uh, find a mate. And uh, we uh, we meet his uh, his intended one to Pring, who we find out to be a uh, a, a very interesting character indeed. She's uh, she's got her plan all set, and she's going to get her way. And it's really fascinating. And we meet the uh, the great uh, Tapau, who is a uh, uh, historical leader of the Vulcan people. And, uh, you know, we, we hear about her later in uh, Enterprise. And how uh, great Arlene Martell, 
is yeah. so great as to bring. Yes. And then you have just absolutely brilliant as to pow. Celia Lowski. Uh, Celia Lowski, yeah. who is in, um, uh, you know, obviously uh, she was in Maturing Kid Age. She's in, um, what's it called? Uh, uh, Soylent Green. Um, but, and, and, and so along with Mark Leonard and maybe Jolene, th- th- those are the two greatest Vulcan performances. Yeah. So great, in fact, that and she so had nice. a band named after her in the 80s. Well, that's true. That's true. With a little bit of heart and soul. I mean, uh, Mike, what do you think about I'm, all this? I'm sorry, you're talking about <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You're, wait, 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 I mean, a muck time, right? Yeah, I mean, time about- join the expedition. The, uh, a, a muck time is probably, I mean, I go back and forth between uh, City on the Edge of Forever and Mock Time as, as being like my all time favorite episodes of you know any of the series so yeah i mean it was uh, of course i wasn't there back in what was it 67 68 whenever it was that the season premiered but yeah. i can only imagine you know the fans who had uh you know waited all summer for the show to come back and yeah. were, i'm sure dying to get to know more about this character of spock who had totally broken out and yeah. and and you had this amazing you know theodore sturgeon script just you know leading off that season but if i remember it wasn't the first one actually shot i think they knew what they had in that episode and yeah moved it up uh-huh. in the order yep um so and, and remember that we hadn't even met spock's parents yet right uh, it, and they're it, not in this episode teases, yeah no they're, they're not in the episode but it yeah. teases their existence with uh kirk's throwaway line that uh, spock never mentioned that his uh, parents were this important yeah. you know uh, but it's uh, it's so it's so good and uh, it's full of surprises and little twists and turns. And it's really a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. I, will, I will say I've heard over the years, I, I felt like I, w- I was a, a bit of an outlier because I think season two uh, was always my favorite. And yet it felt like most people thought it was the first season. Mm. And the first season, of course, has some amazing, amazing episodes. And it was the 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 one that kicked the whole thing off, but it's almost like, you know, the difference between Star Wars and Empire, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> Great level. analogy. Um, they, they created the world and now they can play around it. In yeah, I mean, I suppose if Space Seed and uh, City were in season two, it would be probably, you know... The perfect season. It would be Absolutely. the perfect season, but it is, it is pretty damn amazing uh, as it is, for sure. I mean, just looking at the list of episodes in here, it's just classic after classic after classic. I mean, you can certainly make the case that season one, you know, is close, if not better. But I, I think your analogy is very sound because, you know, the first couple of episodes, it struggles. I mean, yeah. Man Trap isn't yeah. a great episode. I mean, They're I would still say figuring Charlie it out. Eggs. They're still yeah. figuring out what you the know? dynamics are. So, yeah, the shore leave. There's obviously Arena. You know, tomorrow's yesterday. Super fun. There, yeah. There's, uh, you know, City on the Edge of Forever, which is as good as Star Trek ever got. Um, Errand of Mercy, which is terrific. But, you know, there are a lot of, you know, okay episodes. I mean, and there's also this side of Paradise, which is brilliant. But, uh, and Devil in the Dark. So, I mean, yes, there's many, many great episodes. But if you're going to aggregate it, then you have alternative factor pulling down the average. Right. (laughs) Right. And I think people tend to give, um, look, we kind of look back at those early seasons. And like in my head, for example, it's easy for me to draw a bright line between season one, two, and season three and not even just talking about kind of the the sort of the change in command i'm talking about just aesthetically 
how right. different it feels. And so season one and two feel very much of a piece, like they're one, almost one season of the show. So I think people tend to conflate um, a, a lot of what's in season two with season sure. one and in their heads create perfect seasons that, that right. never quite existed. Yeah. Agreed. And since we all uh, watched in syndication, the, 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 you know, the seasons don't really, you know, it, it's not like if we'd watched it in its original airings, they're like not delineated the seasons, enough. They're, they're not, not delineated, delineated enough. enough. Exactly. Right. And uh, I just think, you know, it just goes from strength to strength. Plus there's no secret. You know, I'm a huge Gene Kuhn fan, so mm-hmm. I prefer his writing to John D.F. Black and uh, Steve Carbastos. Car- and Carbastos. yeah, and and you know, to me, you know, the show really comes together. You know, and you know, and I love, you know, I love a lot of what Roddenberry did, like the Menagerie, obviously. But mm-hmm. Gene Kuhn, to me, you know, sort of nailed the alchemy of yeah. you know, a social comment, uh, drama, and comedy. Yeah, right. Um, so, I mean, that's why you have, I mean, Dan, I mean, Mirror, Mirror, um, sure. Doomsday Machine. What happened to your crew? Oh, we, we were dead. Mr. Sulu, you will lay in an evasive course back to the Constellation. Aye, aye, sir. Belay that last order, Helmsman. We're going to attack. You will carry out my last order, Mr. Sulu. <laughs> assuming command of the Enterprise. But I would advise against it. Scotty, get us out of here. Prepare to beam me aboard on my signal. Gentlemen, I suggest you beam me aboard. Mm-hmm. Which pound for pound, you know, is, you know, it's, it's, if not the top, it's certainly, I mean, City is, but Doomsday Machine belongs well, to that the, top it's the, three. It's the, best, it's the best combination of action, sci-fi, and character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a great guest it, performance. It an absolutely great guest performance that, uh, you know, you could argue that, uh, uh, William Wyndham chose the scenery far more efficiently than Shatner ever did. <laughs> <laughs> and then if you're Scott Mann, budget metamorphosis, uh, but you know, Ooh. journey to Babel. I mean, another top 10 episode tribbles, which has defined Star Trek for a generation of viewers. And um, the great thing is that even, even the lesser successful episodes like uh, Patterns of Force, which is a little on the nose, even those are incredibly entertaining and interesting and fun to watch. Right. And they endure in little things like yeah. the John Gill Memorial Theater. That's correct. Which, which we haven't seen in two years. I know. Can you believe that? We haven't been in the John Gill Memorial <laughs> podcasting studio in over two years. Yeah. Which literally Melicon is up to in that theater right now. Yeah. God knows what he's getting away with. <laughs> well, I'll tell he's, you. He's probably pretty lonely. <laughs> he's been in lockdown for, for two years. Yeah, the you know, but of, the, the thing about Patterns of Forest, it's like now, you know, with the Russians <laughs> in the Ukraine, it's like almost, you know, it, it Patterns of Force again, it like comes back and it's like sort of meaningful. And, and you know, Scott, our good friend Scott Mance uh, did Patterns of Force on his podcast recently. And he, you know, I saw it on social, he's saying, well, this is not an episode that's well regarded. I used to love Patterns of Force. Yeah. 
I, 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 <laughs> he's just wrong. Now, Mike, 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 you don't like it. I mean, it's no, a ridiculous no. I mean, premise. It's great fun. I mean, yeah, I mean, just to buy for a notion that this legendary historian thought it might be a good idea to recreate Nazi Germany on an alien planet. I mean, it, it, that's that's a big buy. But if you buy it, it's a fun episode. But they they pull that whole you know the whole Gestapo trick, which is like something out of Great Escape or something. You right. know, where they pretend yeah. that she's you know the hero of the fatherland, Daria, and right. um, and then. Um, uh, you know, I do really like um, there's so much of that episode that I, I do like and the point that it's it's trying to make. And it's interesting because saying the more advanced spacefaring civilization that was trying to do right uh, by Akoshia, um, you know, ended up, you know, being victimized by them by, you know, through their good deed. Well, I mean, you it, know what? I, I promise you that pig will never walk again. And it has that great line too. um, <laughs> I don't care if you have to beat him down here naked. Right. <laughs> you know, just get him down here. Um, and, and you know, the guy who played John Kill, I forget his name, but. Well, I, I think that the great opportunity lost was that uh, was that the, the, the planet from Patterns of Force never fought the planet from uh, Piece of the Action. So that we could see if Rick Blaine was right in Casablanca. <laughs> <laughs> Look, a piece of action to me is a much better episode. Yeah, yeah. Much better For episode. Sure. But, um, but I like Kansas we are. How wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> Although I have to point out, not to, not to jump ahead, but the, the, fir- the two-parter that season four of Enterprise premiered with Stormfront was uh, mobsters versus uh, space Nazis. So yeah. Star Trek did ultimately, Star Trek's done everything basically after 700, 800 <laughs> well, it, shows. It, but, so but you see, again, a missed opportunity of actually calling the episodes mobsters versus, versus space, space Nazis. Nazis. <laughs> I mean, that was my choice. <laughs> Anyway, oh but that, that's that's pretty much my pitch for uh, season two. I mean, uh, it uh, it starts out with a bang and it ends with a really fun episode of Assignment Earth that could have been a really great spinoff series. And could uh, still be. And well, as you um, argued on a previous episode, it, it could be a spinoff series or used as a deadly weapon. Uh, but uh, <laughs> do we have the right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, two drops of this could cure. More of it could kill. Like, so anyway, <laughs> the, the the great thing about the uh, season is that there are so many great and interesting and fun episodes in it. And you can see that the actors are having a great time and uh, they are really getting to uh, to stretch their legs and fill the characters uh, better than any other time in the series. And, and this comes off an interesting run because it follows Ultimate Computer, which is terrific. <laughs> Captain's log, star date 4731.3. The M5 Multitronic unit has taken over total control of the Enterprise. I can't run a starship with 20 crew. The M5 can. That thing murdered one of my crewmen, and now you tell me you can't turn it off? Sir, sensors are picking up four Federation starships. Base is fire. Hit on the Lexington. We're firing again, sir. The Excalibur, a direct hit. The Hood and Potemkin are moving off. Phase is firing, Captain. Lexington, hit again. There's your murder charge. Deliberate, calculated, that thing is killing men and women. Four starships, 1,600 men and women. 
It misunderstood. I believe the only way to stop the Enterprise is to destroy her. Request permission to proceed. Which is way ahead of its time, talking about how automation will replace humans. And, you know, that's something we continue to wrestle with now uh, with, you know, uh, factory robots. And we're all Captain Dunst. We're all Captain Dunst. And then, you know, we've talked about on our entirely different podcast, Trexperts Briefing Room, you know, the fun of bread and circuses, which is just, you know, again, it's another Earth like Hodgkin's law of planetary parallel development. But it's fun. It's fun. Because the character beats are see that's the thing when people look at the styrofoam rocks and you know the things, but if the character drama is right is good, it none of that matters. It all disappears because the character stuff is so strong. And, and you know, shout out to our uh, friend of the show, Joe D'Agosta. Uh, for amazing casting of these supporting roles and these, uh, you know, weekly uh, antagonists. He did an amazing job uh, with uh, just casting these great characters and making them real. Yeah. Yeah. You can't say enough good things about Joe D'Agosta. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's because it's not just the casting of the principal cast, but it's these incredible guest stars. Yeah, you know, and uh, for Percy Rodriguez and Court Martial in the first season to um, Morgan Woodward and Squire, uh, in, in in Dagger the Mind and later in Omega Glory and, yeah. and you know Omega Glory we will you know we'll argue that's not I you know my opinion is not a very good episode you yeah. like it but we Look, all love Morgan it's Woodward dumb, but it's yeah. fun to watch yeah like my kids <laughs> and and, and uh, you know you, can't, you cannot forget Barry Barry is Barry Russo 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 Barry Russo as uh, as uh, uh, well two characters right? as Commodore Wesley, Wesley Commodore Wesley, Wesley, Wesley and, and, and then uh, Devil Joe, in the Dark Lieutenant Giotto yeah, yeah right yeah. and Devil in the Dark right yeah. but I will tell you though Commodore Wesley that whole uh, Dunsel crack boy yeah. he had it coming if I was coming, <laughs> I <would've laughs> had it. he had it coming I, you would have slapped him. <laughs> It'll walk Get right my up ship's him. name out of your mouth. <laughs> Too soon. Too soon. Too soon. And how great is Gar- is, is is um Lansing Robert Lansing in, in Simon? Oh my Earth. God, he's perfect. He's absolutely perfect. There's Pitch no perfect. one around now who could do that. Yeah, absolutely I I, no. I, I want to see them bring that whole mythology back in in Star Trek. As great That'd as he great. is, right. Terry Gar. Oh my God, Terry Gar was Terry Gar is unbelievable. She's so good. She's so much fun. Yeah, it's just it's so sad to think of you know what could have been had that show been greenlit. So okay, so that's Darren's argument for why Star Trek season two is so damn special. Um, And I want to go now to to you know sort of semi chronologically to uh, Mike Sussman, um, who's going to tell us about why. Uh, make the case not for- chronological at all. But <laughs> it's it's chronological. Chronological. Oh, no, I mean, in every direction, the okay. opposite of chronological. <laughs> We're going back in time. <laughs> the slingshot effect. Um, my, well, I, who cares what order we're going? Yeah, I want to go. I see. No, you're going forward in time from assignment Earth. Yeah, yeah fine. Like, yes, there you go. So oh, there you go. Anyway, right, we're, we're going to take the long way back to the future. Right. Going back Marty. to the future. <laughs> One day at a time. That's you, Mike. Oh, that's up to me. Uh, yeah, so yeah, Mike, we, we, let's he tell us about season four of Enterprise and and why uh, this is a season worthy of um, inclusion. Uh, well, I mean, coming off uh, you know this discussion about 
the original show, that was really something that, you know, that really informed season four. I mean, season four was when we, when we started off the year, we weren't even sure season four was going to uh, happen. The show came very close to cancellation at the end of season three. And, you know, we had a brand new uh, showrunner in Manny Cotto who had only been writing for the show for like, I, I think about maybe a, a little more than half the third season. And we we'd been uh, when he arrived, we were in the middle of this you know season long uh, arc about uh, the Zindi War, and a lot of those episodes, particularly towards the middle and end, were were very heavily serialized. And I think Manny, who was as you all well know, and like talked to on the show, was was a huge uh, original series fan. He was just sort of like you know chomping at the bit to to dive into some of that mythology, which our show was. It, you know, laying the, 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 the ground for. And um, so before we'd even gotten the pickup, you know, I sat down with him in his office and we were just, uh, we, we just started, you know, brainstorming and, and Manny had already had so many ideas uh, for what he wanted to do. And they were all tied into not only what we had been doing on enterprise, but like leading into the original series, assuming this was going to be our last 22 episodes, which, which it was, uh, the types of stories he wanted to do. He wanted to uh, go back to uh, Vulcan and, and revisit their society and, and see how they became the, uh, you know, the race and the species that, that we know from, from the original series. He wanted to go back to the mirror uh, universe. He had an idea for revisiting uh, Khan's Superman and, and following up or rather setting up that, that story. Khan's women. Khan's women. Exactly. Um, but more than that, it ended up the, the, there wasn't a whole lot of discussion about it at, at the beginning. But season four of Enterprise really was, I mean, it, it was serialized in a way in that it was setting up the Federation. And as much, you know, uh, uh, shade as the final episode gets thrown at it, the season did end with the founding of the Federation. And it was great fun as a, a, as a writer to be, you know, writing the first handshake between Andorians and Tellarites and humans and, and showing how that all came together and figuring out oh, what was the Romulan war really about? You know, you know, what was the, what was the, what was you're filling in the background to a lot of these details that I as a fan had been wondering about for, you know, ever, ever, ever since I watched the original show, why were, why were they fighting the Romulans? What, what, what did, what did they care? Um, so, so yeah, I mean, for me as a writer, it was just a, a, a it was a dream once in a lifetime opportunity to just dive into the, the Star Trek mythology that I loved and sort of like reverse engineer it and and uh, and write some some pretty good episodes. I, I think I think a lot of those episodes ended up being some of the best of the of the whole series. We didn't do a lot of we, we did a couple of uh, one offs. And I, I will say this, I really do think Manny cracked uh, the code for how to do modern Star Trek. And I think it's something, you know, from what I understand, the, the, the new series could could learn from. We were just coming off season three, which was, you know, 22 episodes serialized, which was tough. It was really hard to do. Um, and we knew we didn't want to do that again because we just done it, but we also felt like we couldn't go back to a standalone episode every week for 22 more episodes. So we, we broke the season into little Star Trek movies, uh, two or three part movies. Uh, and 
if we had an idea that only sustained one episode, fine. We, we put that in there. We, we did a bunch of them. We'd break it up. And in, even though in season four, our budget was cut because we were now able to build a, a big set like the Vulcan high command, but we were going to see it in three episodes. So now instead of being something modest that it would have been, had we built it for a single episode, it could be gargantuan. Uh, even though we have a, f- a fraction of the budget that that we would have had in previous seasons, and that's that enabled us to like rebuild, you know, most of the original series sets for uh, our you know our mirror universe episode, and so it, it was just kind of ironic. We got the budget cut, but the season just feels bigger and grander, and in many ways is. Yeah, um, that's one of the things that people don't realize about your season, that fourth season of uh, Enterprise. Uh, you know, they don't really these shows were not huge budgets. I mean, when Next Generation started, it was like 1.5 million an episode. So, uh, I, I mean, you know, Enterprise, I mean, you moved to high def, which saved a little bit of money over shooting on film, but these were not expensive shows for UPN. UPN wasn't spending a lot of money. They, they weren't, you know, Paramount wasn't deficiting a lot of money, particularly because they knew that this was going to be the last season. So it was really brilliant to create these little troika of episodes where they would have more scope and feel bigger and more epic. And you could, you know, take the money you had and sort of marshal that to do, yeah. you know, a, a much bigger story on Vulcan or a bigger story dealing with the, you know, Phantom Romulan ship or, uh, you know, do the augment story over three episodes. I mean, yeah. that's all. And that was all Manny's works. idea. And, and he was inspired, uh, by the way, by Voyager, where uh, Brannon and, uh, you know, his writers had done a lot of you know really great two-parters, which would, I guess, sometimes air. I think they did an episode called Dark Frontier, which I think aired as like, a, a movie in the middle of the season. And uh, like me, Manny loved those and, and wanted to see more of that uh, epic storytelling. Right. Yeah. And, you, you know, you did some really nice things. And, and so I'm not saying this because you're on the show, but like I love the introduction of the Columbia in home at the beginning of the season, because there's a sense that we're one big happy fleet, that there's more than just yeah. the Enterprise. And the fact that, you know, um, uh, uh, he, Scott has this you know relationship with the captain of the Columbia. Like, that's interesting. I actually would have liked to have seen more of that. Um, and um you know, I'm not a huge fan, to be honest, of Brent playing other characters. Like, I think he's brilliant as Data. Uh, and I think, but he's a character actor that they treat like he's Peter Sellers, which he's not. <laughs> and, uh, but he's okay as Dr. Soong. You know, I know they thought this was a very promotable thing that they were doing, you know, to have him playing, you know, another Soong in, in it. But it works. And it's an interesting story. That you tell over those three episodes. What I really, I only got to write the last uh, episode in, in the song arc, which uh, I'm trying to remember the, the titles here. It was the Augments, I think. UPN Friday. Murdering hostages is turning into a new hobby for you. A biological terror strike that may destroy an entire planet. What you're proposing is mass murder. And fuel generations of hatred. The Cleons will keep Starfleet busy for years. Surrender! Or we'll destroy your ship. Brent Spiner returns in the stunning conclusion of a Star Trek event. 
was Borderland, Cold Station 12, and The Augments, and, and Brent was in all three. And what I wanted to establish in the, in the last one, it just didn't fit into the story, was that he was a clone, that all of the songs are clones. Mm. It's not just that they all freaking look alike, which is kind of ridiculous. Um, and they and, all act like uh, rejects from the Borschfeld and the Catskills. Yeah. Plus, it also made sense in that he's a geneticist. Of, of yeah. course, he would clone yeah. himself. Um, and, but I never got to tie that in. And I. Obviously, he's, you know, appeared as other songs on, you know, some of the later shows. I don't know that they have established that. I, I mm. hope they do, because otherwise it doesn't quite make any sense. But look, I, so I love, many songs. I so love Brent. Time. It was it was amazing to go to. I worked one of those episodes. I think it was. Uh, yeah, I think it was the augments it was directed by LeVar, who I didn't. You know, I, I watched Next Gen. I was a fan. Sure. I didn't know him. He's directing my episode. And uh, and Brent was in it, who I also didn't know. And I was just, you know, totally geeking out uh, on on during the production of that. It was it was it was such a great uh, year for me. Uh, so, yeah, I, I am. I do not pretend to have any uh, objectivity when it comes. No, and uh, it's, to it's this great season. because we all got into this business for the same reason. So when you meet these actors that you loved on Next Generation, like LeVar and Brett, it's exciting. I mean, I know that certainly Ashley can speak to that. Yeah. You know, when doing Dragon's Blood, I mean, it's like a potpourri of like your favorite actors coming in to do voice work. Oh, it's totally the the best, man. It's like, look, there's Tony Todd and there's Michael Dorn. And look, I have, you know, freaking John Delancey and he's in a scene with Anson Mountain. That's so weird. And like, I mean, it's just you get and Jeff Combs, my God. And you just it's just so much fun. We have, I mean, such tremendous affection for these people and and getting to to write for them and put words in their mouth and like and hear them say things it's just it's a joy so um, i totally get it man no, like, it's so funny because i was just over the weekend going through like old photos from some shows uh that you know some so that i've done in the past and you know i came across i totally forgot about it. on agent x you know uh, we had gerald mcgraney as a regular and so we cast fred dreyer uh, in it, and so we we wrote all these great scenes for Fred Dreyer and Gerald McGraney together. So it was like Hunter and Simon and Simon, you know. And it was like as close <laughs> as I ever get to working on like one of those old seventies, eighties shows. And it like I remember the magic of seeing the two of them in scenes together. And it's funny because we all talk about this. And I mean, I did the same thing casting Aaron Gray and Pandora, you know, just because we could, right? And and the funny thing is, it's not just because we're geeks. I mean, you hear. Nick Nicholas Meyer talk about he wanted Chris Plummer in Star Trek six because he was a huge fan of his uh, record recording of Hamlet. And he right. said, well, if I cast him in my Star Trek movie, I can hear have him do Star Trek whenever I want. It was like, <laughs> pull the string, pull the string. And uh, and. And it, yeah, obviously he did because all he does in that movie is recite Shakespeare. But I mean, it's not just us. I mean, it's it's like it's just this magical thing. There's there's a danger in that though. I found when when casting uh, Star Trek actors in other projects, Lavar. We ended up casting Lavar uh, on Perception. He had a recurring role as the as uh, as the dean of the school. And I had a script. We had a table read for a script, and I had dropped in. There was a there was a plot point about a license plate, and I wrote the episode. So the license plate began with NCC, and of course, the bars across the room, and he sees and he starts pointing at me and calling me out my Star Trek nerddom. Yeah, no, it's it's funny because I remember um, our good friend Steve Krasier talks about when he was on VIP um, how um, uh, Mark Hamill guest starred, 
And his one thing that he said was no Star Wars references. He did not want it. This is a point in his career where he did not want to hear about Star Wars. It was dead, you know, to him. And, and did he, Steve say, you must do what you feel is right? <laughs> <laughs> no, but but what was funny was, I guess, you know, without it's not in the script. Steve took all the Star Wars references out for Mark Hamill. And the last scene, Pam Anderson comes out. Uh, for the scene, because Mark Hamill is playing a Canadian Mountie, and I guess he's getting a, uh, giving a medal or something for having Pam help or whatever. And it's the medal ceremony. And she comes out with the donuts, her hair done out like the Princess Leia done. And Mark apparently hit the roof and locked himself in his trailer. And they were all saying, Steve, you got to get him out. And Steve's like, I, I can't control Pam. She does what she wants. And finally, he you know, came out. But so you're right. There are dangers to, the, to being too big a fan. But it's so worth it. <laughs> but, so, but so worth it. So then, you know, I, I love what you did with the Vulcans. Um, in um, even though there's some questionable performances, the the the, the Troika, you know, um, set on Vulcan with the the Vulcan Reformation or, or the, that's going on. That that's a fun three part, particularly the first one, the Forge. Yeah, that was a great one that uh, uh, Judy and Gar had written. Um, and it's just, it's just kind of shocking to me that they had not been like called in earlier because <laughs> they had TV credits and obviously they'd written, you know, several well-regarded, uh, Star Trek novels and, mm-hmm. and, and I think some source books as well. It's, it's so funny to me because I, at that point I had been, I, you know, I spent years, you know, pitching and occasionally selling stories to you know, Voyager and I pitched to Deep Space Nine and I pitch a story to Deep Space Nine, not sell it and then walk across the hall and then sell to, to Voyager. Um, so I was just like, so did you change the names? Same, same. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Bashir became the holographic doctor. It all right. worked. It all worked. <laughs> um, I, that actually happened. Um, but you know, I was so steeped in, in the lore. I mean, I, had I not been a, a writer, I might have lost touch with Star Trek a bit in the, in the, you know, in the mid, uh, you know, nineties. And but so Judy and Gar come on our show on Enterprise, and um, I realized I like blew them away in terms of like you, you talk about being a, a Trexpert. I was correcting them on 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 minutia, which was just like I, I couldn't do it now. It's all gone out of my head for the most part. But um, it, it's it's kind of crazy what happens to your brain when you've been uh, just you know immersed. We got to get Mike uh, an honorary Trexpert certificate. Uh, well, if you could go back and give it to me 20 years ago, I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's for tra- we're time travel. We can do the whole thing in a parking lot. Um, we, but yeah, yeah, no, I mean, revisiting the Vulcans. But I think in an earlier episode of Enterprise, we we did a, I think all the UPN shows were tasked with doing a show that was uh, kind of a, an allegory for AIDS and HIV. HIV. And the executive producers wrote an episode uh, about mind melding spreading a disease, but it was mm-hmm. really cool. But the episode established something weird that didn't fit, at least for me, with the rest of Star Trek canon, which was that only certain Vulcans could mind melt. Yeah, that's not like, right. I was like, well, <laughs> that doesn't, yeah, that was never like never a thing. There was never like anybody, hey, are you a melder? Are you a melder? You know, that it, there were obviously be for, a melder too. Vulcans who, yeah, exactly. There were, I'm sure there were Vulcans who didn't do it, but I would, so anyway, in that, in that arc, we had, uh, we had T'Pol who had this disease, this, this un- curable disease that had been caused by mind melding. And you know, one of the big revelations that came out in those, in that three-parter was that, well, you know, it was actually all, a, it was all a big conspiracy. It was all a lie. We can all meld, but, and I can teach you, I can teach you to pow, told to Paul. 
Um, yes. So, you know, little little adjustments like that. But, mm-hmm. you know, that wasn't the, the drive behind doing those. It, it was, you know, it was just to tell great stories set in that universe. And, and if, and if, and if they could lay down that, that groundwork of, you know, uh, the founding of the Federation, I wish we'd gotten seven seasons. That would have been great. I think we could have stretched some of that out, but you know, great for your mortgage too. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Well, I'm, I'm just wondering why, uh, uh, LeVar didn't play the forge. (laughs) Ah, Well, you know, and you've talked, uh, you know, obviously Darren had Mirror Mirror in his season. You, you've talked at length on the show in the past about an Mirror Darkly. UPN Friday on an all new Star Trek Enterprise. The universe has an evil twin. I'll shoot you myself. I'll kill you when I get out of this. Break him. Will you kindly die? Parallel universe. Where anything can happen. And probably will, with an exciting encounter in the world of classic Star Trek, the final five episodes. So I don't want to belabor that point, but of course, there's that great Mirror Mirror two-parter that you guys did um, that season. And then I think there's that really interesting Demons Terra Prime uh, two-parter, which, you know, sort of deals with xenophobia in a classic Star Trek way. UPN Friday. Just beyond the next planet. Just beyond the next star. Two hours, two episodes, one incredible goodbye. And a hell of a run. I never thought it would come to an end. As distant future generations look back. The brig is bigger than this. A lot of things change in 200 years. On her last heroic missions. How many died? 71. Her journey ends where the Federation begins. Here's to the next generation. Star Trek Enterprise. No, for sure. I mean, I had, uh, it's funny because I, I watched those episodes. I was so busy doing both parts of the, of, uh, the mirror universe shows. I was just burned out <laughs> and mm-hmm. there were only three episodes left in the, in, in, right. in, the, in the season, in the series, Rick and Brandon had written the last one and, uh, Manny and Judy and Gar wrote demons and terror prime, which was initially going to be a three parter. I mean, there was enough story there for a three parter mm. and as good as it is, it feels a little rushed, rushed actually. Yeah. And, you know, at the time, I think before anyone had actually even read the, the final script, um, I, I, we, were, we were hoping that we could actually turn it into a three-part. I think the, the, the cast would have been happier with that and probably some of our viewers. But um, it was, there was just so much to do. There was so much story left to tell. And uh, I wish we'd gotten a chance to tell more. But, like, what a packed season. I wouldn't put the quality up with TOS season two by any means, but um, it, it, it is it is just very dense. I think and you can't say that. Life. That would have been like uh, during our Star Trek six debate. Steve Asbell saying, "Well, you know, uh, Darren, uh, you're right. It's not that great. I guess you're right." <laughs> <laughs> but um, that that was. Uh, oh, and by the way, I'm here to defend Star Trek three. So. Go. Oh, just defend Star Trek three. Oh, <laughs> oh my. That's a whole nother conversation. That's a really, did you listen to at our, least three minutes? Did you, listen to, <laughs> did you listen to our well thought out and incredibly well reasoned two part episode about why Star Trek three is not a good movie? I, I did. Yeah, I agreed with everything you said. I still have a soft spot for it. As yeah, that's that's how we feel, though. But then that's how we feel. Yeah. We, I mean, yeah. we t- yeah. we spent two hours, you know, talking about why it doesn't work, but we all still like it anyway. I think one of the big reasons for me is the is the soundtrack. I, I you know, it's probably a controversial opinion, but I, I think it's James Horner's best score between Truck Two and Three. 
Oh, I don't think that's controversial at all. I think it's a much better score than Star Trek 2. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I mean, Star Trek 2 is a wonderful score, but Star Trek 3 is just, it's it's a better score. Yeah. I mean, when I was a kid and I had the LPs, I listened to Star Trek 3 a lot more than I listened to Star Trek 2. Of course it is, because it has more Tchaikovsky in it. (laughs) <laughs> with a hundred percent point, but no, but I mean, it has the steel in the Enterprise Q, which is gorgeous, and just has a lot more. Because you know, the problem that with the LP for Star Trek Two is always in, like Khan's pets, which is very atonal, which I had no interest. In. Like there was a bunch of stuff that wasn't that great on the L, you know, the soundtrack album. You know, yeah. with Star Trek Three, other than the disco, but that was a separate. I think that was a second disc. Was mm-hmm. the disco track? Yes. Um, but one so, side, one yeah, side yeah, of the skin is evil. Yeah, so but so that that was like pound for pound, just a better soundtrack out, much more listenable. Yeah. I mean, Battle of Mutar Nebula is like unsurpassed, but like oh, so Star great. Trek Three is like for me wall to wall that. Yeah, and Kirk's yeah. explosive reply is, yeah. is great. So anyway, I'm, okay, I'm so, glad you said reply. <laughs> <laughs> We're now in a totally different episode of Endure. Come on, Jesus. <laughs> Are we 12-year-olds on this show? Yes. <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> Apparently so. Um, okay, so that brings us to Ashley. And I'm not quite sure where we are with this Deep Space Nine. See, you keep changing yeah. your mind. What, what season of Deep Space Nine is the greatest season of Star Trek ever? You know, I'm going to say that it's season six. Um, okay. But I will... I'll begin by saying, you know, when we were talking about season two of Star Trek, one of the things that that, that we discussed was was how um, there were episodes kind of before and after that you sort of put them all together, you'd end up with a with a perfect season of of television, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, and that's the thing um, that makes it so hard with Deep Space Nine, because once this show really hit its stride. You know, once it really figured out what it is, I think honestly, like like all the Star Trek shows. Well, <laughs> I'm going to say all of the Star Trek shows. I'm gonna, like many of the Star Trek. You want you want to say like all the vintage, vintage or, or, Star or, Trek shows, or right. Silver Age, Golden Age, right? It's like there were certainly like great episodes um, in season one and season two of Deep Space Nine. By season three, Cisco had his goatee. Um, and you know, they were doing, uh, amazing, cool episodes in, uh, in season three, the defiant showed up, um, season four, we finally got Worf season five. You could feel the confidence building, which is really why I started to gravitate towards season mm. five. Season five gave us things like trials and tribulations. Um, it, you know, there are just home front paradise lost. There's so many like great, um, episodes, uh, in that season, but the thing about season six is that it does, it accomplishes two things. Number one, it takes the idea of serialization um, or uh, sort of continuous storytelling it, to, a, to an extent that had never really been done in Star Trek before. Like not even on Deep Space Nine, even though mm-hmm. the Dominion War arc and all of the, the, the Cardassian Bajor conflict arc and all those things. Um, had been going on um, up to that point, uh, it really kind of took it to a new level that that was just that was different. The, the season opens with a six parter uh, that's just fantastic. you You look back at it and you really appreciate the audacity of it. 
Um, in a way, I, I like to think of it as a as a seven parter uh, with the uh, the season finale of of season five called Arms, which kind of led into it in a in a, in a brilliant brilliant way. Um, you know, with just a little message from Cisco to Gul Dukat, just his baseball sitting on the desk as if to say, so "I'll great. be back." So, so great, so great. Um, and you know, in that those first six episodes alone, there were just so many amazing individual episodes. Um, individual moments, uh, rocks and shoals, uh, is simply staggering, uh, in terms of how good a story that is. Um, you know, these, these two groups of adversaries locked on this planet, um, and there is truly only one way out, um, and it's death. And it's, it, it puts our Star Trek heroes into a, a situation that Star Trek rarely puts our heroes, which is there isn't a, a way out where you can just be clever and smart. That's in my um, top 10, if not my top 15 Star Trek episodes of all time. I, I think Rocks and Shoals is incredible. It's so emotional. Um, and that last fight when the Hadar, you know, show up for that last battle, you just, it, it tears the heart out of you. Um, and, and I think what was brilliant about that episode is that it, it didn't have to rescue our Starfleet heroes from their choices or from their decisions. It's that the Jem'Hadar are the Jem'Hadar, and they will mm-hmm. do as they will. And the fight is the fight. And our heroes recognize that, and they understand it, and they feel something about it. They're not simply going through the motions of the action, which I think is something that defined Deep Space Nine throughout. Whenever it did any of these stories, it always came back to a you know a, a line that Cisco had. Now I'm, I'm I'm just forgetting the episode where it was, but he said, you know, it's easy to be a saint in paradise. In paradise, yeah, I think that's Homefront. Yeah, you know what? I think you're right. Yeah. Um, and it kind of brilliantly encapsulated what that show was, was all about and what was realized in such a lovely way in those, those first six episodes. It had great, um, huge space battle action scenes, like uh, on a scale we had never before seen in Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Um, sacrifice of Angels. They were outmanned. Thousands of Dominion ships will come pouring through that wormhole, outgunned. We're going to fight our way out of this. And running out of time. Conquerors of the Federation. Now, Starfleet's last chance at victory. Take us into the wormhole. Only gonna meet a couple of thousand Dominion ships. Is pure suicide. Here they come. Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Right when you know that fleet of Starfleet ships, that armada hits. You know, hits Deep Space Nine. Um, up against, you know, the Dominion, the Cardassians. And when the Klingons come flying out of the sun, spoiler alert, literally flying out of the sun. Yeah. It's just awesome. And the insane thing about season six is that as great as all of that stuff is. And look, there are, there are other amazing episodes in the season before I get to the capper, right? Um and just little things to sort of mention as, as stories. You know, I'm a, I have a soft spot for statistical probabilities, which is an episode because about... It's about you. 
Yeah, it's about me. Basically. <laughs> it's about nerds coming to the station to kind of figure out like how to fight the war. And and the thing that like I'm quite fond of is that apparently the character of Jack, who's one of the genetically engineered super people that Bashir is essentially babysitting because he is a genetically engineered Superman, which we learned in the in the previous season at Dr. Bashir, I presume, um, is that that Jack, his personality was based on uh, Robert Ewitt Wolf, my first boss, uh, that apparently Jack's propensity for kind of perching <laughs> and trying to sit above people uh, and just all of that stuff just was a was an homage uh, to, to Robert, who had left the show um, at that point. Um, you know, there are great smaller episodes that you wouldn't expect to work, but for me worked incredibly uh, like Honor Among Thieves, which is basically Donnie Brasco with Chief O'Brien, mm-hmm. because Colomini is a fan fantastic actor. He was such a great find. Um, putting him on the show was such an amazingly good decision. I also have to give that show out, uh, show a, a call out because it was, uh, it was written by, or at least the story was, was written by, um, uh, one of my friends from, from way back who came as Philip Kim, uh, who, who came out, he was an assistant. He was Iris assistant forever. I remember coming to visit him. Um, and he took me to the sets and to kind of meet Ira. And I was just an, a goober fan uh at the time and and so the fact that that he was this guy to me was a was a huge deal and that was his big credit um, and that episode is so off concept and that's what was so great about deep space nine any like the original any genre it could do i mean this was crazy this was like you said donnie brasco but i look at any noir movie where you know it was like t-men you know going <laughs> uh, undercover you know and and it's just it's it's so bizarre. It's such it, a bizarre episode. It, in a it great way. work, yet it does. Mm-hmm. And and then, you know, a couple of weeks later after that, you've got something like His Way, which yeah. is, I think, the first appearance of Vic Fontaine. And it's mm-hmm. delightful. And it's the kind of thing that it should not work. Yeah. And yet, because there's, it's so deeply ingrained in the characters, because there's so much passion for the kind of story that's being told, it works just incredibly well. Now, okay, here's where you get to the kicker to me. Okay. It, it, there's all this great stuff. Deep Space Nine is kind of demonstrating that it can do, it can accomplish almost anything with its storytelling in season six. It has fully absorbed all the lessons of the previous seasons. And you would think that, you know, the, the first six episodes would themselves be enough of a mic drop, right? To say like, okay, fine, right? We're done. It's an end of discussion. It's the, it's the best season of, of Deep Space Nine. Although obviously I've, I've struggled with this. Um, but then you have, on top of that, you have two other episodes. Uh, you have In the Pale Moonlight. At 0800 hours, station time, the Romulan Empire formally declared war against the Dominion. They have already struck 15 bases along the Cardassian border. So, this is a huge victory for the good guys. This may even be the turning point of the entire war. There is even a welcome to the fight party tonight in the ward room. So, I lied. I cheated. I bribed men to cover the crimes of other men. I am an accessory to murder. But the most damning thing of all, I think I can live with it. 
And if I had to do it all over again, I would. Garrick was right about one thing. A guilty conscience is a small price to pay for the safety of the Alpha Quadrant. So I will learn to live with it. Which takes all of that moral complexity, uh, you know, that we were talking about with Rocks and Shoals and turns it up to 11. It has one of the great Captain's Log endings of any Star Trek episode ever of all time, any show. I can live with it. I can live with it. It's a fake. It's a fake. Oh, it's, it's just, it's, it's. What a meme. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's brilliant. You can't stop watching it and you cannot believe that it ends the way that it ends. No. Um, and yet, and yet it does, and it commits to it. And, and again, the genius of it is that you never feel like it is, uh, how to put this correctly, like, like it's somehow a betrayal of the rules. Um, that it, or it's, that it's not. Yeah, it's not ignoring what makes Star Trek Star Trek. In fact, what, what makes the drama work is the fact that it fully embraces what Star Trek is. Right. It understands the rule that it's violating and, mm-hmm. and it, it has feelings about it as a story. Like it's saying, hi, we're writing this and acting in it and we're grappling with it. And you, we would love it if you would grapple with it with us. Because but I love it's difficult. What I love, it, it was in the day was where Star Trek could really surprise you. Mm-hmm. And it was like, I didn't know Star Trek could tell such an adult, smart story you know it was back when like you're like my god was that a great episode of star that's when like you would actually be shocked not at how bad a star trek was but how great it was um and um i mean that's you know top five that it could just it it may be it gives city a run for its money i mean it's amazing yeah it's Uh, it's i'm sorry go ahead darren i i just like to play devil's advocate just for a little bit um I, I fully understand your uh, love for season five and six. Um, but how do you defend the uh, the statement that it took them a really long time to get to this place? How do you it, define it, it, unwarranted? Yeah. No, I, you know, how do you how can you uh, defend that? It kind of didn't really work out very well in those first few uh, seasons. Well, I, I look at it this way. I mean, it, Number one, um, you know, that that first season was, I, I think, very much a shakedown cruise. And yet it had great episodes. Um, you know, yeah, it had progress, like, duet, yeah, the hands of the prophets. Of prophets. Yeah. And it's like, and remember, that was a, a shorter season. Mm-hmm. Um, too, short then, season. too short a season. Yeah, too short a season. Then, uh, which, which I believe was like the title of your Cinefantastic, like, you know, review of season Two okay, maybe it was, but this isn't about me. This okay. is about anyway. But you know, season three, uh, I'm sorry, but season two had that opening, uh, you know, Bajor arc. Like, there were always like really great stories on that show, but what had to gel first, right, was its identity. And I think what happened in those first couple of seasons, um, was that they were trying to write the next generation on a space station mm-hmm. and discovering that you can't write the next generation on a space station. Right. Um, but what you can do is write a Star Trek show that takes place 
on a space station and tell different kinds of stories. Understand, I agree with you. I just wanted, wanted to, to provoke my answer. Yeah, it's kind of like K7 in a way. You look at it, it's like if you did a whole show set on K7 with Nils Barris and, and Whit Bissell, like, you know, maybe that <laughs> and these two gentlemen of, live together without driving each other. I mean, crazy. I gotta say, I mean, you know, even episodes which aren't my favorites that season, they're really interesting. It's like in Sons and Daughters, you know, mm-hmm. Alexander comes back and he's a total fuck up, right? And that's exactly what he should be when you have an absentee father for, yeah. you know, I mean, for how many years that Worf like basically turned him over to his 90 year old parents, Theodore Bacal and Georgia Brown, right. as like, oh, you raise him. Of course right. he's a screw up. And it's like, it deals with that. And then, you know, the, uh, you know, that it's really such an interesting exploration of, you know, Klingon culture. I mean, obviously all the Dominion stuff culminating in Sacrifice of Angels is brilliant. I mean, You Are Cordially Invited is really fun. The mm-hmm. wedding episode, Terry Farrell looks amazing in that uh, dress as a total aside. Um, you know, even Who Mourns for Mourn is kind of fun. His top customer just hit bottom. I can't believe he's really gone. Now, Quark's about to hit the jackpot. He left everything to you. Me? But everyone wants a piece of the action. It's all ours. Don't try anything. And his fortune is about to change. Turn around. For the worse <laughs> on the next Star Trek Deep Space Nine. You know, it has the stupid Ferengi um, uh, uh, com- comedies, and I use the term loosely, right. that I, for whatever reason, and I love Ira, and I think the reason the show is so good is because Ira truly gave no Fs. But, um, <laughs> you know, his quirk, his, you know, these, these shows like Magnificent Ferengi, and, you know, every season he wanted to do the, the Ferengi show. I mean, they were much better. In, but then he do something just like totally out there, like one little ship. Which is a ridiculous price, a fantastic and voyage, it and it's great, and, and it's great. And then there are small, just small, brilliant things that happen in these episodes, you know. And I think it was um, actually in the, if I'm remembering correctly, um, if it, it was in a time to stand, it was in the the season premiere. As we're finding, um, you know, the uh, our, our crew has been divided. Some are are on Deep Space Nine, um, you know. Some are are off with the Starfleet fighting the war. And Kira obviously is is on Deep Space Nine, and that Bajoran monk, you know, uh, shouting, you know, evil must be opposed, and killing herself is just yeah, yeah, yeah. A, an astonishing moment you yeah. don't expect to see. But as as much as we can say great things about this season and all of these episodes and, and kind of laud the storytelling quality of what was happening here and, and just kind of how it, it really expressed um, what this show was at its best. On top of all that, the cherry on top is far beyond the stars. Yeah, right. To hell with you and to hell with stone. Try to stay calm, Benny. Oh, I'm tired of being calm. Calm never got me a damn thing. I'm warning you, Benny, if, if you don't stop this, I'm going to call the police. You go ahead, call them! Call anybody you want. They can't do anything to me. Not anymore. And nor can any of you. My human being, damn it. You can deny me all you want. But you cannot deny Ben Sisko exists. That future, that's 
space station. All those people, they exist in here. In my mind, I created it. And every one of you know it. You read it. It's here. You, you, you hear what I'm telling you? You can pop a story, but you cannot destroy an idea. Don't you understand? That's ancient knowledge. You cannot destroy an idea. That culture, I created it, and it's real. Don't you understand? It is real. I created it, and it's real. It's real. Oh, God. Which is heartbreaking and brilliant and, you know, feels so, so personal in Avery's performance. Um, And it's about so many things. Um, It's about racism. It's about having dreams. Um, It is about wanting, my God, it's even about being a writer. One of the things you don't realize until you become a a professional television writer is if you go back and you watch that episode and you look at his walls, or you look at Benny's walls, and he has story written all over them, which seems insane, except when you're a television writer, that's what you do. What do you think about that, Mike? Are you a huge fan? I mean, this is an episode that a lot of people, you know, point to as maybe being Deep Space Nine's finest moment. Where are you on the, um, y- you know, when it comes to uh, the episode? Uh, I, you know, I haven't seen it in, you know, probably 20 years. I remember it being amazing and moving and it blew me away. But, you know, not that he necessarily listens to your podcast. I'm, I'm going to I'm gonna choose uh, uh the triple episode is my favorite Deep Space Nine episode. Just, to, oh, yeah. just to piss off Ira. <laughs> which, which was like, which is season five, which is one of the reasons why I really wanted to pick it. Well, I'll never forget. Like Ira has so a standing, drunk, I couldn't see watching that episode. Ira has a standing invitation to come on the podcast to do live commentary of Pretty Mates all in a row, which he said he would take <laughs> us up on uh, once we're back in the studio. So um, that would be. I will say there's there's something to be said for being the Star Trek series that at the moment is the bastard stepchild. I, I suppose Deep Space Nine was the first, you know, to I mean, it was the first new show to come along when there was already a, a, a series on the air. And, you know, when when the executives take their eye off your show, that's when you can do great shit like this. Yeah. Season, you know, yeah. it was the same with Enterprise. We were like, ah, oh, we're just rounding out the syndication package. Yeah. They're probably canceled. Nah, just let them do what they want. And that's and that's when you as you know creators get to do your best work. But I, I, neglect I, is powerful. I just want to mention something about Far Beyond the Stars. And though it is a great episode and I love it, I have the same problem with that as I do with the inner light. Is that it's a great episode that is not about the characters in the show. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that that falls in the negative column for me. Wow. Okay. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a strange position to take, but it's not a strange position to take. I disagree with you. I totally understand the point because I agree with you when it comes to the inner light, Uh, (laughs) far beyond the stars. I look, you know, I'm going to go off on a rant here for a second. One of the (laughs) things I keep seeing, which really makes me nuts is um, people uh, who are criticizing the new Star Trek shows. And there's a lot you can criticize them for. Start to go off on um, how woke they are. That's not the problem. 
Look at no, these, look at this all. episode, far beyond the source. What is more quote unquote woke than this? It's brilliant. It has a story to tell about racism, about yep. uh, you know, it's because it's smart. It deals with di- diversity and racism and all these things in such a, a complex and compelling way. Whatever you know, people's problems are. You know, it's like you read these things, and people have very good points they make. And they say, "Oh man, but the, the new shows are so they're so woke." It's like, what the, what does that even mean? It's so stupid. Yeah, I, and that gets me crazy because then it tars anyone who doesn't like those shows with this idea that you're like this crazy. It just it's like that's not the problem, right? It's like it's like the, the drama has to has to work first and, and foremost. And I'm with you, Mark. I mean, I, I agree with you about uh, Darren and Mark about inner light. I think what separates this is that, um, and I'm just going to come out and say it. I think that Avery Brooks is better in this episode than Patrick Stewart is in the inner light. I give. I, I agree. I fully agree. Yeah. I, I, I third the motion. And if Mike could remember this episode, he would agree to it. Right, he would. <laughs> he damn right he ordered the code oh, red. Indeed. And he'd do it again. Um, <laughs> no, it's just, look, I could make, uh, obviously, I have no passion for this subject. Um, I could probably make an impassioned case for almost any season of the show. But it's, it, to me, the, the more I thought about it, the more I realized that it became inarguable when I started adding all of these things together. And I'll also say this. You know, we talked about just the sort of the diversity of storytelling and the great episodes, right? I mean, look, so many great episodes, but just even like these tippy tops, right? Like in the pale moonlight, far beyond the stars, like they're completely different kinds of stories. They're completely different kinds of stories from rocks and shoals. I will tell you what's common about all of them. And it's, I'm going to say what I said before about, you know, uh, Avery Brooks. When Avery finally emerged as the captain of this show, man, like there is just, uh, I mean, obviously, well, Kirk is Kirk, you, but like you, you use captain as a, as just a, a name, but it means that he's the leader of the show. Right. Yeah. Exactly. The number one on the call sheet is number one in the show. That's yes. right. You know, and, yes. and, and, and that it, didn't happen till later. Absolutely. Right. And I, I got to say one last thing amazing. about this whole far beyond the stars nonsense. Um, <laughs> this whole idea, this, 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 you know, Inic is built into the DNA of Star Trek. What does that mean? Infinite diversity in infinite combinations. Diversity is in the mission statement of Star Trek. So when you dismiss diversity as being an important part of Star Trek, you're not understanding the very heart and soul of Star Trek. Now, I have to say, it also is called Idic. If you listen to the audiobook of Fifty Year Mission, because apparently they couldn't call me to find out how you pronounce Idic. Oh no, Idic. The right. uh, well, you know, Idic was very important to us. You mean Idic? So, uh, <laughs> but it's, it's true. I mean, I think Darren was the first person to say, you know, Mark, I, I really like your book, but boy, this audiobook is just like they mispronounce every other word. It's like, that was that was only because you didn't call me to help, but that's but okay. I didn't had nothing to do. With it. Let me explain something. You know, <laughs> no, this is not amateur hour. There's a huge publisher. You turn it in. I I, I don't hear from them. At least at that point, I, you know, I don't hear from them until like they they need us to do PR. I had nothing you know, to do with that audio book. You know nothing. What I'm teasing you right. You and and, and you. now they they, they come to me and they say, oh, will you read the introduction or will you do this or that? 
But back then, they didn't call us. In fact, I, I had somebody who I knew very well who was doing the audio, and he wanted to call me to find out. And they said, you can't call the author. You're not allowed. It's verboten. It's like patterns of force. <laughs> you can't do it. So um, anyway. You know I'm pulling your leg, right? Are you? I don't know. Of course. I, okay. But of course I would have called you. I would have preferred you had done it. I would have preferred it. Um, you could have done all the parts. I would have. <laughs> okay. So, so look, that, you've made a, a really compelling argument, I think, on behalf of uh, a Deep Space Nine season six. I have to give you credit for making the, the as much as I love season five, I think season six is the stronger season. Um, I, do I have to do Next Generation season three? Yes. A little bit. Dude. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing it really quick. Let me do it really quick. Let me be the FedEx guy. Remember the, you know, the little, 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 little. Yes, John uh, Machida. John Machida. I'm going to be like <laughs> Star Trek season three is the season. Uh, obviously, Michael Pillar comes in after uh, Michael Wagner had his nervous breakdown. And, and you know, the great thing about Pillar is he was a fan of the show already. Um, he wasn't a Star Trek fan, but he was a fan of Next Gen. And so he really understood that this was a show that needed to be about the characters. And that's why, you know, right off the bat, I mean, yeah, the, the, the premiere, the season premiere is not very good. Um, but it does mention baseball a lot. Um, but uh, then you have Melinda Snodgrass's Ensigns of Command with the, the Shelley Act corporate, which is a really interesting episode. I remember watching it thinking, oh, this season is like already like looks like it's going to be a better season. Then, of course, Shelly Hack was nowhere to be seen. And I was very disappointed. I mean, I talk about, you know, I'll talk about survivors till the cows come home. Mm. I love the freaking survivors. Mm -hmm. Next time on Star Trek, the next generation, the crew discovers the sole survivors of an alien massacre. The attacking force prepared you for some reason. They're guarding a dark secret. A mystery that's destroying Troy's brain. A threat that's attacking the Enterprise. Commence rapid fire with all weapons on full. On Star Trek, the next generation. It's like a great Twilight Zone episode. Great alien race. Um, It's shot on location. Part of it. I mean, it just everything about that works. Amazing guest stars and John Anderson. Um, you know, as uh, as the, I guess the villain, I, I can't really call him the villain. The antagonist. I, I my writing staff watched yes. that episode. I watched it with them because basically it was okay. Here is a lesson, you know, on how to lead the audience along, and then when they least expect it, kick them in the balls uh, because it's, that's just the sort of story that it is. It's fantastic. I still hear that song that Troy is hearing. That music box creeps me out, mm-hmm. man. Uh, okay, who watches the Watchers? He can't bring back the dead. Show them, Picard. You can bring back my wife to me. I cannot. Why? Why won't you do this for me? Have I failed you in some way? Are you angry with me? I'm not angry with you. Well, then I beg you, bring her back to me. I will give you my life in exchange. Please, take back what you gave me. Give it to her. Let her live. It is beyond my power. Nothing is beyond your power. You are the overseer. I will prove it. Lego! If you believe I'm all-powerful, then you cannot hurt me. If, however, I am telling the truth, and I am mortal, you will kill me. But if the only proof you will believe is my death, then shoot. Lingo, don't! 
another top 20 Star Trek episode. What a great episode. The idea of um, them believing Kirk is uh, Picard is God. Um, And it's funny because, look, I I don't in any way want to dismiss TOS because obviously it's my favorite Star Trek. But, you know, you compare that to something like the Paradise Syndrome. Let's face it. Who watches the Watchers is a much better show. Um, Darren's rolling his eyes. I think it's great. Ray Wise is in it. Um, uh, it's just so interesting. What happens when you break the prime directive and you have to repair the damage? Really interesting concept. Then you have the debut of Ron Moore with the bonding. Again, mm-hmm. interesting premise. If you're going to have a ship full of families, what happens when one of the, 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 you know, the parents dies on an away team mission? Really yeah, interesting. Shoot the kid into space. Um, you know, you got would have been a good idea. You know, we're waiting for the Romulans to come back and do something interesting after they told us they after they announced a neutral zone at the end of the first season, they're back. Uh, yeah. but they weren't uh, <laughs> apparently they, they, they weren't, weren't convinced. <laughs> but then they come back in the enemy. Next time on Star Trek, the next generation, Jordy is missing in action on a deadly planet. Mr. Wolf, launch the probe. A violent storm blocks the crew's desperate search to find him. Will he survive? I can't see! And his fate lies with the enemy. You are my prisoner! On Star Trek, the next generation. You know, basically enemy mine. Uh, and but but what makes that episode, it's not about um you know, the, the two of them having to get along, you know, Jordy and the, and the Romulan. It's about this really great ethical question when Worf refuses to give blood to the dying Romulan. And is Picard going to, you know, order him to, you know? And I mean, the fact that they let the Romulan die, it made a statement for Next Generation that this is not this anodyne kind of show you know like they're willing to go there to interesting interesting places and they really wrestled with this this was a big decision at the time would they assassinate worse character but 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 they didn't by by doing that they made him so compelling and it said you know this structure okay it's not going to just be this pollyanna universe like we're going to deal with more interesting things and it's the same in the defector please you must help me an arch enemy defects to the enterprise got a traitor I came to stop a war. But can he save them from a death trap? You're a spy, aren't you? Or will he lure them into a full-scale massacre? Shall we die together? Find out on Star Trek, The Next Generation. The whole thing, mm-hmm. you're questioning James Sloyan. Is he a good guy? Is he a bad guy? Is he really deflecting what's really going on? Um great episode and it's mostly told as a bottle show there's not you know a whole lot off the ship but it's a pressure cooker and it's a really great cat and mouse uh story and again another great um guest star performance um you know you have a couple other episodes that are sort of hit or miss you got the return of q and deja q which is um you know uh it's almost always delightful to see q back and um certainly uh you know, in this episode where he's wrestling with having lost his powers, and then it ends. Isn't this the episode that ends with the mariachi band celebrating yeah. at the end of the episode? I mean, another great meme. It, it, but it's so much fun. It's yeah. so much fun. And then look, matter perspective is Rashomon on the holodeck. They 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 were trying for so long to get a murder mystery right. It really isn't until uh, Deep Space Nine did uh, Necessary Evil mm-hmm. that they really get the noir thing right. 
which but, I think was in season six. No, I think it was sooner than that. Well, but uh, but we're not doing Deep Space Nine. We're not doing Deep Space Nine. And then yesterday's Enterprise, which is their mirror mirror. An Enterprise from the past rips through time and alters the future. I'm supposed to be dead. Now, Lieutenant Yar lives again to help the crew fight a devastating battle. This war is not supposed to be happening. You've got to send those people back to correct this. And one courageous team must die to save the Federation from destruction on Star Trek The Next Generation. You know, is there a better episode than Next Generation? I don't know if there is. Yeah. I mean, I remember when that episode came out. I had, I mean, look, I, I, I was like you, I watched the first few episodes of season three and I thought it was really, really had the show had just come a really long way. It was a different show. Totally. And I thought, okay, wow. You know what? I'm, I, uh, I'm beginning to have faith, but I remember I, I missed yesterday's enterprise. It had some stupid meeting or something on campus and all my friends were coming up to me because I'm a nerd and saying, you have to see this no matter what you have to do. <laughs> just just watch it. You won't believe it. And I remember watching that and thinking, oh, oh, this is what this show is. I mean, it just, it was, it was eye-opening. It was truly the game changer. Well, it's interesting because the conventional wisdom was the best of both worlds changed everything. No, that was the cherry on top. I mean, yesterday's Enterprise was kind of when you, you know, when it was like, oh, this show is really a fitting successor to the original series. You know, it was the first time we was like, this is, you know, this is on par with some of the better episodes of TOS. And you hadn't really seen that until mm-hmm. yesterday's Enterprise. And then Sins of the Father, which is the beginning of them doing really great stuff with Worf. Um, you know, Captain's Holiday, for as big a mess as that is. And of course, this was the season from hell. We could do a whole episode about season three. I mean, they were so behind the eight ball on scripts. And I mean, I think Captain's Holiday you know, it was the episode that almost broke Ira Bear. It was the reason he didn't come back for a season. But it's just a hoot, at least for the first half. Then it has that stupid sci-fi MacGuffin at the end. But, I mean, you know, it's one of the first times I actually laughed at the show in a good way. You know, <laughs> like, we laugh with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Um, and it's really good. And then, you know, Hollow Pursuits it shows uh, dealing with something very interesting, which is more applicable now than ever. You know, the whole idea that Barkley, uh, you know, prefers virtual reality to reality. Isn't that what all these kids today with their phones, look at their phones all the time and Instagram are, are doing right with now? Pac-Man and their Dan Fogelberg. Well, they Dan Fogelberg? <laughs> what? <laughs> and uh, I mean, so I, Hollow Pursuits was really kind of ahead of its time in yeah. sort of dealing with the addictive quality of virtual reality. You know, sort of milquetoast guy who doesn't want to get out of his parents' basement, you know? And I mean, and, and how funny is all that stuff? What was it? The, um, the Troy was the, uh, the um, goddess, goddess of, of empathy. empathy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, really, I mean, I haven't watched it in probably 15 years, but it's so funny. It's funny. Um, I would not, if you had asked me to pick my favorite season in next gen, I don't know that it would have been three, but you know, just hearing you talk about all the episodes now, and I realized this was, I think the season of star Trek that made me sort of like seriously look into like, hey, it'd be great to write for this franchise. Mm-hmm. I, 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 you know, I wrote, you know, fan letters to the writers. It was the first time I'd ever done that in my life as, you know, I was just a kid. I, I wrote to, uh, Richard Danis, who I thought, you know, uh, he was the credited writer on, on Deja Q, which right. I thought was really funny and really good. He wrote me back and was very encouraging. 
I, I called Paramount, you know, from where I was living on the East Coast and asked for Melinda Snodgrass and they put me through to her. And I, <laughs> three, two, three, nine, five, six, five thousand. Exactly. And, and I talked to her for like, you know, probably three minutes because I, I was so nervous and she was very encouraging. It was a great season of, of TV made by some, you know, really talented people under the, you know, um, stewardship of, as you, as you pointed out, Michael Pillar, who I was lucky enough to meet with and work with very briefly as an intern on Voyager. Um, I want to do it. I want to do an episode on Michael. We haven't done it. We we did an insurrection episode. We did a great birds episode, but I haven't done, we haven't done an episode that's just devoted to Michael. And I really want to do that at some point. He deserves it. He warrants it. And, uh, you know, his whole philosophy about lifting up and mentorship, you know, and, 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 uh, it's, it's, I mean, he, he, he's the reason there are all these great showrunners out there right now. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, 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 you know, when you look at Ron Moore and, you know, Doreen and a lot of these guys, it's because of Michael. He gave them yeah. these opportunities. Um, Sarek was another great episode. I mean, I remember how just to hear, you know, we talk about all the fan service now and all these franchises, how annoying it is. Um, Sarek, just to hear the word Spock mentioned, how that was like, like it, it, put, it sent you back. It was like, oh my god, you know, he's doing the mind meld. He's that mentioning all these things. He goes, Spock. That is a that is a worship word. And you're like, yeah. I'm not speaking. Oh my god, he said Spock. It was like, yeah. it, it, like you had chills. He's like, yeah. he yeah. he mentioned Spock. It's like because the show was so allergic to mentioning anything that had to yep. do with the original, and they were all very um, clear that they weren't fans of the original. They thought it was goofy, right? And um, so when to hear him say Spock was. Wild. And the whole idea of doing it as an allegory for Alzheimer's was very interesting. Menage mm-hmm. um, Troy, the less said about that, the, the better. But then, of course, it all culminates in Best of Both Worlds, which is this, you know, su- superb uh, cliffhanger. Um, you know, not since Who Shot JR was there a cliffhanger, at least in our world, that was more talked about. And, and, and uh, you know, uh, I mean, I think, you know, we didn't see it coming. Yeah. I don't think TV Guide said it was a a two-parter. So no, they didn't. And it's, and it's difficult to overstate or it really, even I think to convey to, to, to viewers who were not alive, were not quite uh, sapient at the time. Um, how much a, um, during the third season, next generation had begun to penetrate the pop culture and then B how that episode in particular just kind of turned, um, you know, sort of our, our our current sort of obsession with like, you know, why we even have, you know, a, a, a Star Trek Picard, you know, or any of those things, um, how important that episode was. Because you're right, people were talking about that episode the same way they were talking about who shot JR, right? You just, you couldn't believe it. I remember watching it and just falling into my TV screen. Mr. Worf, fire, right? Like, holy crap. Yeah. You remember that, was- that, Michael, seeing that for the first time? Uh, I do indeed. I think wasn't was that Star Trek's first two-parter since the Menagerie? Yep. It was. Yeah, we were, and it, and, it, and it was its very first season ending cliffhanger, which was also just stunning. Um, nobody was expecting it, and I had just been like, as as much as I enjoyed this season, I had been blown away by. Um, uh, you know, the Borg's introduction in season two. Mm-hmm. And was just, I was like, oh my God, they finally have, you know, they were trying with the conspiracy little insect guys and the Ferengi clearly didn't work out. Oh my God, I think they may have just like backed into like 
the coolest Star Trek villain ever. And, and I'm like, oh, they're going to pick this up in season three. And I'm just like waiting and waiting and waiting. And but I remember the feeling seeing the preview mm-hmm. of both worlds. Finally. And that, that ends with Riker saying, you know, they're, they're going to Earth, 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 Earth. And it was just like, wow, I, yeah, I could not wait for this episode. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, it still has an impact. I, I think when they, uh, when they redid it for the Blu-ray, they had a, uh, I think a couple of screenings around the country and I, and, uh, I went to one here in LA and it, it, it held up on the big screen. It was really quite an experience. But as longtime listeners of the show will know, I'm not a fan of the two hour version because they cut out the, to be continued dun, dun, dun. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> that great, you know, that, that yeah. great thing because it says Mr. Work Fire and they cut to, you know, right. and, mm-hmm. and, and it doesn't have the dun, 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 leading up to, to be continued. So I prefer it with the cliffhanger because that's awesome. But it's it's funny because um, <laughs> people forget, you know, everybody says, oh, best of both worlds, be cliffhanger. But when Neutral Zone aired, what a huge cliffhanger that felt like. Because at the yeah. time, we didn't know that season two was not going to start with the Romulans. You right. know, we thought, oh, the Romulans are going to be coming for war, and this is going to be great, and it's going to be so cool next season. We didn't know instead it would be like this lukewarm remake of, of this, you know, phase two script, The Child, and that we wouldn't see the Romulans again. Or, you know, and then it was, it was the same thing when you see the Bork and Q-Who. It's like, oh, I can't wait to see these guys come back. And then you almost forgot about them because yeah. it was so many episodes. And then finally they come back in best of both worlds. It's like, okay, well, they're going to have to finish this story. You can't, you know, not, not come back and find out, you know, Picard's a Borg now. They're going to have to do something here. Um, and it, what a great way to end, you know, a great season. Definitely. Well, and, and if, if only uh, our heroes on the uh, Enterprise D had known that the way to defeat the Borg and turn them good again was to play Michael Jackson music for them. What? That's a Captain EO reference. Oh, I see. That was a little too esoteric. <laughs> I, I thought if you were going to have nothing too esoteric. On the I was going to say, no, I'm not going to say it because if, if the answer is to put them to sleep, I got a few <laughs> shows I can suggest. They watch. <laughs> um, but uh, anyway, this is great. I mean, this is this is really uh, these are all great seasons. They all Look, are winners. I, I think that I think that people expecting us to pick one season uh, from all of these Star Trek shows as the best of all of them, I, I think is, is, uh, is just wrong. Yeah. So maybe because we should change the title to the best of all worlds. Yeah. Ooh, Ooh. That's good. Yeah. And, and we have all oh, the best season of every Star Trek series, except for Voyager. So I mean, it's really unfair <laughs> not to include Voyager. So I'm going to turn it over to Mike. Mike, if we were going to add Voyager, uh, it's, what would the best season be? Uh, four? Uh, I think it might have been four. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that was the year. Wasn't that the year Brandon took over? Yeah, that was that year of hell mm-hmm. that year. I, I'm trying I to remember. I think that was year of hell. I mean, it was definitely Seven's introduction. And, and there were a lot of Dynamite Seven episodes when, when she joined the cast. Yeah. The ultimate weapon. We have all eternity to accomplish our mission. Does not destroy. Captain, there's a spatial distortion heading toward us. It erases. All organisms and man-made objects have been eradicated. Now, Voyager gets caught in the crossfire. All hands brace for impact. Can a device that alters time ever be destroyed? It's trying to erase us from history. On the next Star Trek Voyager. 
I, I think it's probably four. I think four and four and five. I went back and looked at the list. I think probably my favorite voyages are in four and five when Brandon was just like finally, mm-hmm. you know, after after writing a lot of Star Trek under uh, you know, the guidance from, you know, Jerry and um and Michael was just finally put in charge of the whole thing. And because four I, not only had Year of Hell, you know, it had message in a bottle, mm-hmm. which is a really good episode. Um, it had Living Witness, which is a terrific episode. Mm-hmm. Imagine turning the Starship Voyager. Target the first city. Landfire. Into the Warship Voyager. When diplomacy fails, there's only one alternative. Violence. Now, the imagining is over. The crew will turn into cold-blooded killers. Resistance is futile. And history will turn into anarchy. No, this is impossible. On the next Star Trek Voyager. Um, and, uh, so, you know, it had, and it had the Omega directive, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. So they were doing some really interesting work and Michael had left to go do legend at this point. Was it legend or he just left? I'm trying to remember. I know he left, but, um, I'm not sure. I, I, but I think he was gone at this point, but he was consulting because what was, was this Brandon or Jerry still? Well, he had left. No, no, no. Cause so he, he had left, left early. He left two. after two. Yeah, right? He left in season two because yeah. Yeah, he was gone. Cause I came back and, and did some freelances right. freelance for episodes and he, and Jerry was already you know, running the show by then. And they kind of split the duties even when I was there in, in season two, cause he had left, I think tail end of season one and then came back because mm-hmm. legend got, I think got canned. Mm-hmm. And so he was. He was back in the writers' room. Oh, that's right. That's and right. And left again. I, I don't know what he left. Uh, what he what he left. To well, do. he felt he'd given. He'd left it all in the field, and that it yeah. was time to leave. You know, he knew when it was time to to, to retire, unlike Tom Brady and some other people. Right. And uh, he so he decided to, he you know, and then he went and did the Dead Zone, and he did other sh- other stuff. But he had, he'd done it. You know, he'd been there for a long time, yeah. and he did. You know, to his credit. He didn't feel he had anything left to give. And he had really, you know, by having the open uh, script, script writing uh, uh, program and, and, and nurturing young talent, yeah. um, he had given so much back to the medium of television, so much to Star Trek. You know, um, his job was done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But I think season four of Voyager is the right, right season. I think that's a, yeah. a fairly strong I, season I, I, for that show. They also did a, a dynamite episode called Living Witness, where mm-hmm. the doctor's program wakes up and it's like hundreds of years in the future. And, yeah. and uh, I, I think that's one of the best episodes of Voyager. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's Star one of my Trek favorites. In general, I'd put, I'd, I'd, I'd it's put a strong episode. I think it was when we did our top 100 or top 51 or whatever we did. It was, it was one of the few Voyager episodes that was on that yeah. list. Yeah. And Brandon and Brian Fuller and I think Joe Minoski wrote that one. It was it was dynamite. I mean, it's and, and again, like when there had never been a, a Star Trek episode that literally had none of the original cast members. in. Yeah, um, it was it was brilliant. It was brilliant. And that was in season four. Yeah. No, see, I think I think let's go with Voyager season four. Um, and of course, we want to hear what you out there in listener land have to say. Um, you know, did we we hit the mark? Did we miss the mark? Uh, what are your favorite seasons of Star Trek? Um, uh, we we didn't talk about the animated series, but I think that goes without saying that season one was much stronger than season two, which was sort of the the leftovers. Agreed. Done. Yeah. Solved. Okay. Done. <laughs> done. Done and done. And uh, we'll leave uh, any other future Star Treks to other scholars and professors of Trekology to uh, um, to explore. Um, so, okay. Well, uh, guys, this was a delight as always. 
And uh, I want to thank uh, Michael for uh, joining us once again. Of course, Ashley Miller, uh, my co-host, Darren Docterman. And um, we want to thank uh, Peter uh, Holmstrom, our producer and archivist, as well as uh, Natalie Biscali, Zach Raggetts, and everyone at Electric, especially the very busy Mark Rivera, who is not only now mixing Best Movies Never Made, but also Inglorious Trexperts 430 movie. And uh, he's uh, and Trexperts Briefing Room. So he has his He's a busy full. man. He's a he's a busy man. Indeed he is. <laughs> and uh, so thank you, uh, Mark. You've been doing a great job. And uh, thank you to everybody for joining us. And of course, you can continue to share your thoughts. Uh, things have been busy on the social over at Twitter, uh, in, in Glorious Trek on Instagram and Glorious Trexperts. Also Trexperts BR, Trexperts Briefing Room uh, on Twitter and Instagram, respectively. And you can always come over to the Facebook where there is uh, also Inglorious Trexperts for sale. Which means free. So come and right. share. <laughs> come, come and share your thoughts and grow stronger through the sharing. Um, and of course, uh, we hope to see all of you at some upcoming events. We'll be announcing very soon where you can find us as long as you don't hit me with a scooter. And uh, so that's it. That's it. That's all I got to say. So uh, may your seasons be as pleasant. Keep on trekking, and gloriously, of course. This show was produced by Dean Devlin and Mark A. Altman and is an Electric Surge Network production.